1: and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. I'm
0: Lynn Ponton of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, inviting you to listen to a podcast, Unmask, two therapists talking about psychological issues during the time of COVID. Please join us on in-depth conversations about COVID issues during this very challenging time. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Uh, This is Lynn of Lynn and Jen. Uh, Let's talk about sex and our special track uh, for the epidemic, Unmasked. And today we're going to be discussing, I think, a very interesting topic, which is our thinking and specifically uh, delusions. Uh, So... uh, considering the world we live in, this broad topic, and a lot of people have interest in it. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking about it with you, Jen.
1: Yeah, me too, Lynn. I'm, I'm really excited to look at this idea that we have been exploring about how thinking can be fantastical, and when that fantasy is useful, supportive, and protective, and when it becomes more problematic, and how to determine that for ourselves and for other people in society at large. And
0: maybe just to give a little background here, we're right at the point in the U.S. culture where they're looking at uh, the elections, specifically in Arizona, And uh, the group shared delusion of uh, the former president having really won the election is kind of ever present in our our American world. So I, I think that's part of what stimulates me to look at it. But specifically, yesterday I was in court over Zoom, and there was a question about custody, and it involved the question of whether or not one parent, in this case a father, Though the mother's delusional system was also looked at, if this parent had a delusional disorder, and uh, it got me thinking about delusional disorders and what they are. Basically, they used to have an old name, paranoid disorders, and now they're called delusional disorders. And it's really individuals who believe a thought, or right, you know, are entrenched in a belief. That is not really accurate, and they don't have any other psychiatric problem necessarily, though they could, of course, have some character issues. But they believe very strongly something that's not true, and uh, I think this is there's different types. Uh, one being grandiose, and uh, when we think about kind of our our world out there, there's a lot of people who believe thoughts. About themselves that are grandiose, that really don't fit with reality. But this whole discussion about what delusional beliefs do we all have, and as you were saying, Jen, when do they become a problem, you know, and what do we do about them, and how can we change
1: them? Yeah, I mean, so in, in terms of, you know, all of that and just starting us off, I, I think that Being able to look at it from this sort of spectrum place and understanding that on some level, all of us have these fantasy thoughts and that they can be protective for us. They can give us hope in times when situations seem bleak, which is something we've talked about through the pandemic and one of the ways that people cope. It can also become problematic, I think, when it starts to interact with, when you start to interact with other people or you start to interact with other systems in ways that you're hanging on to your rigid belief at the expense of yourself or that system. And I think what makes it so challenging and, and worth discussing is that there isn't like a clear like, okay, at this point, this is exactly when it switches into being helpful or this is when it switches into being harmful, but that it is something that has to be evaluated on a personal but also interpersonal level.
0: In the, the business of the custody world, which is the the case that kind of started all of us or the two of us thinking about this each parent often has delusions or false beliefs about the other and about themselves and their parenting role. And those delusions affect how they think about the other parent, how they work with the other parent, and how they parent their own children. So one thought I had about it is it becomes dysfunctional in in that system when they're no longer able to parent their own children in an effective way, because they, are, they have a delusion about themselves, a false thought about their own parenting, or a false thought about the other person's parenting. And, uh, you know, you can apply that to the larger world. But I think if you look at that situation, you can see that how we think very much affects large parts of our life.
1: Yeah, I, I think building on that, you know, one thing that I noticed that kind of defines some of that delusional piece is sort of the rigidity of the thought. I think that it's important obviously to follow facts and and you know things that we can take to be true. I think when things are more subjective, if you're not able to entertain another person's perspective, that rigidity is very problematic. But there's also kind of the extreme side where you're you're kind of taking in the opinions of everybody around you and not able to synthesize your own perspective first. And that's another thing that I see with some of my clients. And so I think it really is about finding that middle ground between being able to come up with your own worldview and interpretation of things and kind of evaluate that against you know whatever experiences you have in your life but also being able to filter through you know how much uh authority i suppose is the word that comes to mind to to give to other people's thoughts and their expressions and their ideas and i think we we talked about that uh just a little bit ago in in terms of our ex president trump and how he has a lot of influence over people and what is it that you know leads people to cling to some of the things he says that to other people clearly would be labeled as delusional
0: yeah that's a that's a big question in today's world i think is why do so many people follow his beliefs um you know and they are delusional they're really false thoughts that a whole group of people now shares and that he promulgates out there. He's mm-hmm. all over he's trying to. He has less of a, a forum platform right now, but he's he's out there doing this in, in many ways. And he has a group of people working with him. And I like what you said. I, I think you've got to be open to other people's thoughts, but you've also got to be able to think yourself. So those two processes have to be going on: openness and using your own thinking. And somehow, this both of these seem to be interfered with in what we're seeing in our country today.
1: Yeah, I think a, a big part of it that I recognize is that you know there's there's an aspect of certainty that comes with delusions. And I think sometimes when things feel very uncertain or they feel unstable or they feel threatened, There are aspects of our psyche that are drawn towards that certainty that delusions can promise.
0: Before this podcast, we were talking a little bit about this point about the certainty aspect and delusions often look truer than truth because they're rigid in their thinking patterns, many of them. And we're looking often, I think in today's world, as we have more openness, more questions, more out there not understanding things. We're looking for some solid answers. So I think we're vulnerable to delusional people, delusional systems that promise just one simple answer. You know, the whole phrase, keep it simple, when really it's about keeping it complex in today's world. But it's a struggle, I think, for people. They want to believe that snap answer.
1: Yeah, I, I think in a, in a situation where you're so inundated with information, it can be challenging to sort through, you know, what information has more value or less value. So we didn't talk about this, but as we are discussing right now, it came to mind. I was looking at this one uh, article that was talking about people's fears around getting vaccinated or, or not getting vaccinated. And they were looking at some of the misinformation that was being spread in social media. And what they found is they could actually trace it back to an average of 12 people within a week's time span that was affecting this huge, huge number of people who were concerned about getting vaccinated. And obviously, you know, there are so many aspects you can dive into about why these people found them, etc. But I I think there is something to be said for recognizing that it doesn't have to take very many people to set up these types of delusional thinking patterns or narratives as I think of them, right? And, And I think that that is a really, really important aspect to consider here is being able to evaluate with all this information going on, like, what are the resources? What are the sources that you want to count on? What are the ones that have weight for whatever reason? And what are the ones that maybe are playing on on a different part of you like there's something to be said for just repetition like the way our brain works the more you hear something the more likely you are to believe it even if your original stance isn't in alignment with that thought and these are findings that came out of looking at how some of the the officers in Uh, Nazi Germany, like some of the ways in which they were able to influence large groups of people. But I think it's also very relevant in today's time where we are so overexposed to information that simply hearing something over and over can make it seem more true.
0: And where you started with this is that when information misconceptions about vaccinations were kind of charted back to 12 people really kind of putting those mistaken ideas out there. Yeah, Starting the whole vaccination thing this morning, uh, Dr. Fauci was on all the stations trying to track back or walk it back, walk back that information and really say, this is what I said. And, you know, when you're not vaccinated, you still got to wear the mask, you know, because you're at risk. And, you know but this other information about no mask anywhere had spread very rapidly from just a few sources of people you know but because the world is so connected and we now hear millions of voices i think we're much more vulnerable as dr fauci said this morning to believing misconceptions because we hear them over and over and over again you've always said it's like an echo chamber out there and social world we're connected with we really hear a lot of
1: voices and the false voices are magnified mm-hmm as you're bringing that up it also reminds me of how fear operates in conjunction with these thought patterns whereas I think very strong emotions can lock in certain thought patterns and so it can be you know very joyful or feeling very strong or very powerful but also like the the very afraid. And so I, I think that that probably plays a lot into some of that that delusion too, where, you know, maybe if you're feeling very afraid, being able to look at somebody who sounds very sure of themselves provides a level of safety and, and reassurance to you. And so that can lead you to buy into the delusion because it it is solving the problem that you personally have, which is like how afraid you are.
0: I think you're bringing up a key point that emotion connects with our thinking, and especially the dark emotion of fear. When we're afraid, we're looking for a simple answer, and a person who's out there putting out a delusion, they got a simple answer for us. It's not the wrong, right answer, and it's not a complex answer, but it is a simple answer. And I think people who are afraid are often in that track and you know I, I, we were talking earlier about how emotions and thoughts differ and you and i have a bit of a differing take on it but uh, i think it's a key area right now uh, especially with somebody like trump
1: mhm i i think that it's it has a lot to do with being able to discern credibility and i think that when when there is the delusion operating One of the tricky things is that when people are very deep in their delusion, they feel very certain of whatever it is they're saying, even if it is delusional. And I think that there is a certain level of that self-certainty that draws people in as a source of reassurance and safety.
0: That's part of what I was uh, seeing with the parents in the custody case, that They're each certain of their perspective, and that's part of what uh, prevents them from hearing the other person, the other parent, and what the other parent has to say. But it's definitely a factor in the world today that our former president presented data in a very certain manner. You know, he had, we talked about it before here, he's groomed himself to believe that stuff, and he delivers it without a question. And he's been groomed by the culture to have that level of power. But people pay attention to that. They want to hear that. And they don't necessarily want to hear a president who's saying, hey, hold on here. We've got troubles in Israel and troubles with Hamas and troubles here. They want the answer, not that kind of, you know, the truthful machinations of how complex the world really is.
1: Yeah. And so I I think that's a really important piece in, in terms of understanding like why these delusions are able to be spread like wildfire on some level. And also you bring up another point, which we haven't discussed yet, which has to do with the fact that there, there is a sense of uh, delusions or fantasies, false realities being entertaining. And I, I think that that also plays a really big role in what happens. You were nodding your head. Is there more that you would want to add to that?
0: (laughs) Well, it's a favorite subject, I think, uh, really here, uh, Jen, with all of it. I I mean, I think looking at the former president, his ability to entertain. I mean, everyone kind of sees that. He was an entertainer who became a politician through that route. A lot of entertaining is presenting you know, simple truths in a kind of funny way. And he does do that. But it doesn't mean that they're overall true in their complexity of life. They're not. But he's definitely got an audience out there at this point in time. And the truth is often boring. You know, the president we were talking about, the leader, who's got to tell you about Hamas, he's got to tell you about you know, Israel and these other things. And somewhere in the middle of all that complexity, you tune out. But if you get a phrase like make America great, again, you know, you hold on to it. It's just a different way, I think, uh, of how we think.
1: Yeah, I think that is, it brings up one of the frustrations that I have had a lot of the time, which is people not understanding really the importance of story and narrative in in shaping what moves people. Because I think facts are very important, and they build part of the story. But what gets people to move into action is the way they relate to something. And I think emotions is the tool with which a lot of us relate to things. Because We envision ourselves in those people or in those situations, or we see the people that we care about in those situations. And that's what gets people to take action. So would
0: you say for that boring president who's got a bunch of constructs, he's got to get across to us, that he's got to make it more of a story and draw us in and pull us all with him in that tale. And we've got to know part of it, too. So he could maybe learn from the entertainer.
1: Yeah, I think there is an aspect of our society that has kind of assumed that just informing people of numbers and things is enough, like to be informed with the, the data is enough to get people to to take action. And I, I believe as a therapist that just part of the profession is really listening to people's stories and how they make sense of the world and helping them be able to recognize when their fantasies are helpful to them when they're interfering with their life and all of that is about story. And so obviously I don't advocate, you know, getting to a place where you're blatantly lying to people, but I do think that ignoring the role that story plays in in getting people to take action and getting people to feel like a community and getting people to move again is often overlooked.
0: I I agree with you. And I think if we're talking about the former president, he's a powerful storyteller. You know, when he's leading, you know, a rally, he's powerful in drawing people in, people on all sides. You know, the issue is that he harbors and holds thought patterns. And these are back to the delusions that are very, very strong and really are not open. So it's kind of a false lead up. Like I'm such an open guy. I've got it down. I understand. I'm with you. All of this is the sell, you know? And then it goes down to, okay, I'm really on top here and you can't even vote me out. You know, that's the bottom line. But uh, the lead up, the storytelling, you know, it's slick and we go with it. But I agree with you. I think those the boring leaders could learn a bit from this, that they've got to tell us a story we need to know, you know, this week, we need to know what's going on in Israel with this whole situation. We need to have an idea of where they're at in this story, our leaders, and be pulled along with it. And that's where we've come to. And Trump was good at that. He's very good at that.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that he is very good at is that he's not just telling a story, but he finds a way to tell a story where you fill in the missing pieces. And so in doing that, it makes the story very personal to you. Whereas I think, for example, like when people watch the news, it's also telling a story. But for a lot of people, they're a bit disconnected from it because it's a story about somebody else. Whereas what I started to observe the the few times that I could really stomach listening to Trump was that like he tells stories in a way where because he's selective about the words he uses and he's selective about how much he shares or doesn't share, he leaves a lot of room for people who are listening to fill in the gaps themselves. And because they are the ones filling in that part of the story, they are more personally related to that story or that delusion. And in doing so, it's harder to convince them that somebody else is telling them something wrong because they feel like they came up with it themselves.
0: I think it's a really good point, Jen. You're talking about how people are drawn in or pulled into a construction of truth. And you've got to pull the people in. And that's where this emotional component is really, really important. You know, how do you draw people into your way of thinking? And storytelling is a huge way Leaving the holes open, you know, which means you don't hit them with all the facts, you know, so that they can put a few in there themselves and come up with it is really, really important too. You know, so we've got something out there for everyone today. You know, we've got to pay attention to the delusions, but maybe look at the the method that we're being told or delivered these delusions. That's important because people are listening to them. You know, why are they listening? because they can fill in the blanks because it's not a hundred percent fact, you know, because they like the entertainment. There's a lot of reasons that people listen to the delusions,
1: yeah. and i I think to to wrap this up, it you know, talking about that that shift from you know the the delusional space to sort of the helpful fantasy thinking and Really going back to it's really important to evaluate for yourself sort of where where those lines or where those borders are for yourself so that you can better participate, you know, and, and this happens through conversations.
0: It sure does. And I always enjoy talking about these things with you,
1: Jen. It's always a pleasure. All right. Thanks, Lynn, so much. Take care. Come on.
0: That's